I'm Tom Schultz, host of Voices of Montana. Thanks for joining us for the podcast today, brought to you by Blackfoot Communications. Does your home qualify for a $70 discount on your internet bill? Blackfoot Communications is proud to partner with the FCC to help ensure that households can afford the broadband necessary for work, school, healthcare, and more. For more information on this federal program and to see if your household qualifies for a discount on your internet service, visit goblackfoot.com slash ACP. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. It's one of Montana's largest industries, and yes, it's Courtney Kibblewhite, but I'm not talking about agriculture today. We're going to talk about health care and specifically critical care. Let's uh, let's move forward and, and we'll find out what's going on in these critical access hospitals throughout Montana and where are the needs where we can help each other more. That'll be today on Voices of Montana. So I'll bring in Dr. Dr. Ray Wright first. You're, you're calling from Livingston, uh, Dr. Wright. Tell us what uh, what's going on in, in your hospital. What are you seeing? Thanks, Courtney. Um, so, you know, the last couple of years have been a pretty challenging time for everybody, but especially... Um, in my field of emergency medicine, the uh, the COVID epidemic has put a lot of pressure on the healthcare system in terms of medical and um, behavioral health. So, uh, you know, I would say that's the the obvious big issue in the last couple of years. Um, that we, the biggest challenge that we've faced in dealing with that epidemic and adapting to it. Um, in, in general. Um, the emergency department in a critical access setting is uh, typically has less resources, less subspecialty care to consult with. Um, so we're in a, a somewhat of an austere environment compared to a large emergency center. Can you uh, can Livingston, you define that that for us? What what is the critical access setting? What does that what does that mean exactly? So critical access in in basic terms is a, is a hospital that's in a place with a small population and few resources and critical access hospitals um, by definition have 25 or less beds. Okay. Um, So, you know, we've been able fortunately to get uh, um, residency trained board certified emergency physicians in our department um, to try to provide those uh, advanced critical care resources Patients, even though we are in a critical access hospital, we can offer that level of care. Um, so, you know, most of what we see is not what people would typically think of. You know, when they think of the TV show ER and they think about sort of the Hollywood version, it's a lot of trauma, a lot of, um, you know, violence. Yes. Uh, but what we really see most of is complex medical cases. Hmm. Um, we have a large geriatric population in Montana. And they have a lot of chronic health issues. So what we see is actually a lot of geriatric medicine. We do have a sprinkling of trauma, um, certainly, um, that we treat. But um, we see a fair amount of complex medical cases as our probably biggest proportion and a fair amount of behavioral health as well. And dig into that complex mental health or, or complex health. What, what, would that, what would that look like? Are you talking about a, a number of different symptoms or tell us more about that yeah so your your typical elderly um, resident is usually going to carry with them several diagnosed medical problems maybe on maybe on uh, multiple medications and they may be a lot more fragile than most people that you see 
you know, out on the street. So they have a lot lower reserve, and when they get sick, those medical problems worsen or make them more vulnerable to things like infection, falls, injuries. Uh, so we see a lot of vulnerable members of the population um, for that reason. And is it a lot of repeat customers? Or do, or do you get, um, is, it, is it mostly, you know, folks that, that do have a, you know, one-off situation? It, it sounds like if you're talking about a geriatric population, potentially those people may, um, may come to yeah, you more a, regularly. There's a small segment of the population that uses a large proportion of emergency services. Uh, that said, you know, we still get uh, people that travel through. We have a large traveling population of uh, tourists. Uh, we also have an influx of new residents in Montana, as all of us are aware of. Uh, so we see a lot of those um, patients that are new to the area, and they, you know, they bring their own medical problems with them. And so I got to ask, Doctor Wright, were you um, were you working in Montana before Mon- before Medicaid expansion? I was, yes. And did you do you see a change in the way emergency services are used based on that, or ha- have you experienced anything like that? I saw I saw a recent report from the Montana Healthcare Foundation about um, about Medicaid. So just just curious. I think theoretically the access is a bit easier with expanded Medicaid, um, but it's a little hard to gauge. There are so many moving parts to why people come to the ED, again, including things like COVID and spikes in respiratory illnesses and um, all kinds of variables that change that ebb and flow of patient visitation. So I I can't really quantify that very well, I have to say. Well, and, and let's dig in here. The, the reason why I brought my friend Dr. Eric Arzubi on, too, is he's he's an expert in that psychiatric care. Of course, Eric was uh, was previously at, at Billings Clinic and helped address uh, some of the emergency challenges in, in psychiatry there. But so, so tell us specifically related to mental health. How, what does that look like when someone comes to an ER with a mental health emergency? So our job in the emergency department when there is a behavioral health crisis is first to identify what the crisis is, but also to make sure there's not a a superimposed medical issue that we need to address. The thing that's really important to know about behavioral health is that rarely happens in a vacuum. So most people that have a behavioral health emergency don't come with just that issue. Um, Oftentimes there is a coexisting problem with alcohol and substance abuse or complex medical issues that, you know, they have treatment for other medical conditions. So a big part of our job is not only just to assess what the, what the behavioral health crisis is, but also to dig into some of those other potential medical issues that could be contributing. And the other part, um, you know, just to frame our recent challenges is, you know, what we call social determinants of disease. So they have a person that was treated well for depression or bipolar disorder, and um, because of the challenges with housing that we face, particularly in Park County, and with living expenses, high rents, um, income disparity, access to health care, substance abuse. So all these things kind of add up to create an unstable situation in a person's life. And now that bipolar disorder that they had under control with medications is going untreated or patient becomes homeless or has no car to, you know, get transport to an appointment. So they deteriorate and then they end up in ED. So it's a pretty complex 
um, interplay of factors that will lead to that. But our, our primary job in, right up front is to make sure medically that we can screen them for any existing issues or ongoing issues that need addressed, and then we can work on um, getting a, a more comprehensive psychiatric assessment to see is this a patient that really is in crisis and a danger to themselves or someone else and needs to be admitted, uh, or is it someone that we can connect with resources locally and have them follow up uh, after their ED visit? So does does treatment for physical uh, needs, for instance, if there's a, unfortunately, a, a good friend of mine had a friend this week with a, with a suicide attempt, and so that person would have gone into the ER with, um, you know, with physical injuries uh, and obviously having these mental health concerns at the same time, I, I assume, did, I guess I'm asking, do, do, you, do they get treated for physical and mental issues? Is that all, is that all co-occurring or is it completely addressed physical and then, you know, you wait to, to really get underneath, um, underneath someone's mental struggles? Yes, yeah, so we have to make sure the patient is in a safe environment. So we want to address those medical issues, but um, we also have to create a safe and secure environment so the patient is not at risk of, of self-harm um, further. So the answer is kind of both, um, but typically if there's a med- medical issue, we need to address that first while keeping the patient safe and secure. Um, sometimes that means admitting to our own hospital. Sometimes that means we don't have capability to keep that patient safe enough, and we may have to transfer them somewhere else. Right. So let's at this point, I'd love to switch to, to Dr. Eric Arzubi a little bit, because that's that's your that's your specialty, the, the psychiatric part, whereas whereas Dr. Wright's the emergency department director at uh, Livingston Healthcare. Dr. Arzubi, tell us more about, um, you know, what what would when what would your interaction be with a with a patient who has gone into um, gone into the emergency room? What do you, what would you see? Sure. So, first of all, you know, the the relationship that um that so someone like me would have with Dr. Wright is, is critical because again, at that point, it's really a, it's a team, it's sort of a little bit of a team sport uh, where Dr. Wright would help make sure that there aren't active physical medical problems. Um, and then we communicate if in the best of all worlds, we communicate effectively with one another, do a warm handoff, and then we jump in uh, to kind of really assess what's happening and the way Really the way it works for us is, again, similar to physical medicine is step one, we try to understand what's the risk. What's the risk that something bad's going to happen? And bad meaning, is this person at, at high risk for hurting him or herself or at high risk for hurting others? Or is there a risk that if this person were returned back to the community would quickly decompensate because they are not able to care for themselves uh, because of some of the factors that Dr. Wright was alluding to in terms of housing, finances, the ability to self-care. So again, it's a little bit of a two or three-step process where you start with risk management, then you try to figure out, okay, what's diagnostically, what's, what's happening? And then step three, you try to figure out what's, what's treatment. And treatment involves trying to understand where treatment would be most effective. And typically, you try to um, provide treatment in the least restrictive environment possible, meaning you don't want to send everybody to a psychiatric hospital. There's, there's no need for that. The problem is in a place like Montana, we resort to that sort of thinking too quickly because there's not much else. So in Montana, what, I, what we see too much of is sort of, I, I think about it as all or nothing care, right? There's not, a lot, there's not a lot happening in the community. 
we end up seeing people when they've decompensated to the point that it's critical. Now we throw everything in the kitchen sink at them and that's, that's not right either. So, you know, we, and again, no state really has, has gotten this perfect and certainly not Montana. Um, and that's, that's one of the things we're, we're working on. And, and, you know, thankfully we have conversations like this to, to keep the conversation going. So Dr. Wright, do you have a psychiatrist on staff at, at your critical access hospital? We do, but uh, one provider for all of Park County as a psychiatrist is, is pretty challenging. Uh, so they're spread fairly thin. We do have some advanced practitioners, nurse practitioner, and we have a clinical psychologist who's a PhD that can help to uh, manage some of that caseload. Um, but the challenge is that the numbers are uh, way too much for one person or even a couple of people to handle the need. And, you know, you have the, the office-based practice, which is, um, you know, maintaining those um, patients with behavioral health issues. And then we have, on top of that, all the people in crisis that we have to manage. So uh, the resources are really stretched thin. So we need to find ways to get those emergency assessments. And, you know, they tend to happen off hours in many cases. You know, it's 2 a.m. on a Saturday night, so there's no one provider that could possibly be on call to cover those needs. So we have to find creative ways to, to handle that challenge. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take a, a quick break here, and we're going to uh, dig in when we get further a little bit more into uh, into Montana's healthcare system. And we will be right back on Voices of Montana. Does your home qualify for a $70 discount on your internet bill? Blackfoot Communications is proud to partner with the FCC to help ensure that households can afford the broadband necessary for work, school, healthcare, and more. For more information on this federal program and to see if your household qualifies for a discount on your internet service, visit goblackfoot.com ACP. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. And we're back on Voices of Montana. I'm Courtney Kibble-White, your guest host for today. And gosh, it's hard not to get serious when you're talking about critical access hospitals and, and mental health, health care. But I think the, um, the opportunity here is we've got a couple experts who care deeply about this problem and are, and are looking at how to make uh, changes in our state, bringing some creative ideas to do so. So, Dr. Wright, I, I, was, I was thinking during the break there, tell us exactly how many people a day do you see at Livingston Healthcare, come through your ER, and, and how many of those are behavioral health-related cases? Our average daily census in our ED is between 20 and 25 patients per day, so fairly low population compared to a lot of the larger centers in the country and in the state. I would say uh, roughly 5 to 10 percent of those may represent behavioral health emergencies. Okay. And what about um, uh, drug-related or substance abuse, is that how many of those 20 to 25 might be substance abuse related? Uh, a couple of those usually are. Okay. And um, keep in mind that even if uh, the primary presenting issue is not an acute mental health crisis, the underlying behavioral health issues are often woven into the reason that they're there. Again, going back to those sort of social determinants of health with um, uh, stress of a medical problem, and the stress of having multiple conditions often plays into why they show up. 
So what are your choices? You have somebody come in talking about that five to 10%, I guess, that are mental health related and they, and they need further treatment or hospitalization for those mental health issues. What, what are your options in Livingston? So after we initially assess them, if we determine it's primarily a behavioral health issue and there are no immediate medical issues, then we have to determine, as Dr. Arzubi pointed out, is what their level of risk is. Um, are they a, a voluntary treatment patient or are they someone that we um, have to do involuntary treatment because of a danger to self or others? And that's a, actually a big fork in the road. Um, the more voluntary patients who um, want to seek help and uh, are not a physical threat to themselves or others, we often can keep in our own facility and use our own resources to assess and treat that patient. And we like to try to do that because we like to try to keep patients where they'll be able to follow up with those resources. And if we send them down the road, sure, they get hospitalized in a, uh, potentially in a psychiatric hospital that's specialized, but that follow-up um, may not be there with the same people that are treating them. And I think that that's really important because these tend to be chronic problems that need chronic treatment. So any way we can keep patients local uh, for that, we do it. But if it reaches a safety threshold and we feel like our facility is not equipped to handle that problem, then that's when we need to think about uh, transferring. And then when when that happens, uh, I'm on the phone with other facilities who could potentially accept my patient and transfer. Wow. And so would you say your critical critical access hospital are you similar to other critical access hospitals in Montana as far as ability to keep those mental health patients in the community if, you know, if appropriate in, in your own hospital? I think we're a little more robust compared to most critical access for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that our um, hospitalist doctors, so the doctors that do primarily inpatient hospital care, they specialize in that are willing to work with us because they see the need and they will uh, accept patients with primary behavioral health diagnoses um, and agree to uh, collaborate in treating them. And in a lot of facilities, the hospitals are not comfortable with that and uh, would tend to transfer patients a bit more. Once a patient is admitted, we do have um, some resources um, with our own behavioral health team that can uh, help to treat that patient. That's not always available 24-7. Weekends are tougher. So, you know, there are some some factors we have to consider um, in terms of timing, day of the week, et cetera, that may change that. But, so, but yeah, I think we have fairly good resources, but not, not perfect. I'm, I'm always thinking of my family's uh, from Sand Springs, Montana. So when I think of critical access, I'm thinking of uh, Jordan, which is quite a bit smaller than, than Livingston. But Dr. Arzuba, you used to be the head of psychiatry for Billings Clinic. And I know you probably ended up receiving a number of referrals, a, a fill in kind of that, that system gap, but sure. for critical access. Well, I think, <clears throat> I think you're the, 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 the key word there is gap. Um, again, I don't want it to sound like I'm, you know, I have, I live in Montana, so this is a system I know best at the moment. But again, these are these are not unlike other other states that are facing problems. We have a we have a I I would almost argue I don't even know if we really have much of a mental health system <clears throat> because because of these these massive gaps, right? And if you have a system, you have parts of a whole that work together uh, where there's robust communication, transfer of care, 
um, and uh, and really a, a, a smooth a, a smooth sort of communication bet- between the different parts. Um, think about uh, think about a pyramid where at the base of the pyramid you have uh, let's call it primary care. Right, a lot of people who need all kinds of care go to the primary care doctor, pediatricians, family practice. Um, they'll show up to say, "Hey, look, I have a sore throat," and then they uh, the the primary care docs will will screen for other things, including depression. And if there are elements of depression or even other mental health related things, in the best of all worlds, the primary care docs will have a, a either supports there at the, the office or have somebody down the road they can refer to. The the problem is. Um, those those resources often aren't available, and if they are, we don't. Uh, and I, you know, and I would say we in psychiatry we we own some of this as well as we don't always do a great job with sort of collaborating and communicating in the way that we should for for lots of different reasons. In in Montana, there aren't enough of us. Um, also, we're far apart. Um, you know, telehealth has been a big boon to to actually, you know, gluing some of this stuff together. But uh, but again, the gaps remain. And so if you think about the base of the triangle, you have uh, primary care, the next level up. Uh, so imagine a triangle with sort of three blocks. And then you go up to the second block, which is maybe more specialty care, where there you have sort of therapy, psychotherapy, psychiatry, medication management. And then at the tippy top of the triangle would be sort of the acute care where Dr. Wright sees a lot of those patients who are in sort of acute crisis. So in the best of all worlds, we're not playing defense. We're not waiting for bad things to happen. We're getting ahead of these problems where we're actually reaching down into primary care and saying, hey, how can we be helpful? How can we get ahead of these problems before they actually happen? So let me jump in there. We're going to take a, a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk more about that that preventative piece and, and what's happening in, in rural communities with critical access hospitals to actually prevent people going into crisis. That'll be next on Voices of Montana. Does your home qualify for a $70 discount on your internet bill? Blackfoot Communications is proud to partner with the FCC to help ensure that households can afford the broadband necessary for work, school, healthcare, and more. For more information on this federal program and to see if your household qualifies for a discount on your internet service, visit goblackfoot.com ACP. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. We're back on Voices of Montana with a bit of a somber issue, but honestly, I really feel like what's predictable is preventable. So we have a chance to learn here and, and hopefully prevent some, some folks from entering into mental health crisis. Uh, Dr. Eric Arzubi, psychiatrist with me here. Dr. Arzubi, how much of the population is actually in mental health crisis? So, <clears throat> 20, so well, we can look at Montana. Montana has around a million people, and 20% of the entire population today can meet criteria for a mental, a diagnosable mental health problem. So let's say about 200,000 people in Montana. Out of those, obviously not all of them are severe or acute. So I would say out of that uh, 200,000 people, you're looking uh, at the whole spectrum. Um, many of them have mild problems, some have moderate, and then there's a, a percentage of people that have sort of severe or acute problems. So I would say about a quarter of that 200,000 has And you're talking severe. about everything from diagnosable depression or anxiety all the way up to schizophrenia. schizophrenia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, every, yeah, exactly. It can be mild. Yeah. It can, exactly. It can be sort of mild, mild anxiety. Again, very, very common. And uh, 50% of the population at any point in their lives will experience something like that. But again, not everybody needs medications. Not everybody needs to have a diagnosis. So, cause a lot of things are sort of mild and will go away, but 
that's not always the case, like with any medical illness. Well, and I think about, you know, <laughs> death is just a part of life. And anytime we experience death or, there, you know, other challenges, maybe it's financial, that can be trauma and it can be hard to process. Uh, it can, you can go into a depression, your thinking changes, the way you view the world changes. So we, we, before we left the break, we were talking about a little bit about the system and, and you mentioned there's, there's not a ton between, you know, I'm fine and, and the ER for mental health. So, so tell us what, what, what's in the middle, what, what is there before you get to that crisis situation to, to help people? Sure. So, so one of the things that's been uh, pushed uh, pretty aggressively here in the last several years and the Montana Healthcare Foundation has been helpful in rolling out what's called integrated behavioral health. And that is really trying to either integrate or co-locate behavioral health into primary care. And interestingly, one of the things here during the break, uh, Cody was wondering, you know, why, why, why when you go to primary care, you get, you get asked about depression? Well, the same reason when you go to primary care, they take your blood pressure, check your heart rate. Well, you ask about depression, out of, out of 100 people that you ask, maybe 90, 90, 90 of them will say, I'm fine. 10 of them might identify with a problem and a few of those might really be struggling that they otherwise wouldn't have told you about. And so that's critical. We need to be screening and then helping. When we come back, we're going to talk about some more solutions related to mental health care. That's coming right up on Voices of Montana. Voices of Montana continues right after this. Does your home qualify for a $70 discount on your internet bill? Blackfoot Communications is proud to partner with the FCC to help ensure that households can afford the broadband necessary for work, school, healthcare, and more. For more information on this federal program and to see if your household qualifies for a discount on your internet service, visit goblackfoot.com ACP. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. And we're back. This is Courtney Kibble White today with Voices of Montana. You'll get to have a uh, get to have Tom back yesterday, so I'm sure he'll bring a, a new and interesting perspective. Today we're talking to Dr. Ray Wright and Dr. Eric Arzubi on their experiences with Critical Access Hospital, and we're specifically leaning into some of the mental health challenges that um, that we've seen. Dr. Wright, I'm curious. In, in Park County, there we we talked about how oftentimes in, in smaller communities there may not be a lot of resources between, you know, someone's fine and someone's in an emergency. So, so tell us, what do you recommend for, uh, for folks in, in Park County to, you know, stay on their best in terms of their, um, getting their minds in the right place? What services do you have? So I think to go back to what Dr. Arzubi said about the pyramid, you know, that's especially true in Park County because we do have such a limited number of specialized behavioral health providers that much of the um, base of behavioral health care falls on primary care. Um, and primary care physicians are fairly well-practiced at managing more simple and most common behavioral health issues, which would be depression, um, problems with anxiety. Um, as, the, as patients get into more complexity or are failing the usual management of those problems, you know, then they are typically um, referred to specialized psychiatric services, um, but the base of that pyramid is really primary care. That's bolstered also by some community resources, and again, by no means um, do we have the resources that we need to cover all of our problems, but we do have um, a clinic in the Park County Middle and High Schools um, for adolescents to utilize for general health and also for behavioral health issues called the Ranger Clinic. 
We have an organization called Esprit, which is a, a support service for patients with uh, behavioral health issues and challenges uh, where they can have some support on a daily basis. And again, it goes back to um, an ounce of prevention being worth a pound of cure. So if you can have people connected to those resources where they can get some help when they're struggling before they're in crisis mode and come to see me, that's really where the answer is going to lie. Do you consider um, things like, um, I don't know, churches and after-school programs and the school counselors, is that considered part of the mental health system? Absolutely. I mean, it's sort of a loose coalition where, uh, as Dr. Arzubi said, parts don't always talk to each other. Those are places that people can reach out if they're struggling. Um, so we, we do use those sort of resources, but they're in a much more informal way. And when patients are in crisis and come in, the other thing that we are actually working on implementing in our department, and we, we had this um, for about a year, but um, um, lost the first service that we had, but uh, is telemedicine. So we can contract with a um, psychiatric provider group where they're available 24-7 by video, and we can actually uh, dial into their services and get a full assessment by telemedicine um, 24 hours a day. So that, uh, that that's something that can really bolster our ability when someone's in crisis to get them uh, effective evaluation and disposition. That's a great point because because now if anyone has internet access, they've got a, a range of services available. And I suppose that leads right into to you, Dr. Arzubi, and, and the founding of your company, Frontier Psychiatry. You know, tell us... Tell us more about the um, about how people use telehealth as related to, to mental health. And, and I know you've come up with kind of a creative solution to address some of these and, and received a financial backing for us. So, so tell us more about that. Sure. So <clears throat> what's interesting and maybe not always widely known is that Montana has a pretty deep history, a rich history when it comes to telehealth. Um, the Eastern Montana Telemedicine Network, which is based out of the Billings Clinic, has been doing telehealth since the early 90s. So Montana has been doing telehealth for 30 years. And I would tell you that Montana has probably been at the uh, leading edge of this uh, for a long time. In fact, one of the uh, opportunity to give a quick shout out to a friend of mine, Thelma McCloskey Armstrong, who she ran the Eastern Montana Telemedicine, <coughs> excuse me, Eastern Montana Telemedicine Network and was also a president of the American Telemedicine Association. So again, a lot, of, a lot of great history here in Montana when it comes to telehealth. What happened uh, during COVID and then sort of in the years, well, years, we're still kind of trying to get out of this. But, uh, you know, the, the, the access to telehealth has improved because the technology has improved. And also patients, payers, and, uh, and providers have gotten a lot more comfortable with the idea of providing telehealth. So it's easier to do. And so uh, we started seeing patients actually in 2020 and now we see well over 100 patients a day uh, across Montana and to pretty much every county. And what's been really fulfilling about that is that counties that didn't have access to any kind of psychiatric care before now do. Um, so really the uptake has been, been really, really, uh, it's been, been pretty dramatic. And I think maybe during, you know, I know this, we've been talking about, this, is a, this can be a difficult and challenging issue to discuss. And I think while, yes, we're facing a lot of problems, I would kind of also encourage us to think that there are solutions and there is hope out there for things to get better. One of the things Dr. Wright was mentioning, uh, sort of access to telepsychiatry in the emergency room. So we <clears throat> we actually worked with the Montana Hospital Association for a year, ended up working in 13 hospitals providing this this care into the emergency rooms. And uh, we, we, we didn't realize how 
how difficult and how extensive the scope was of trying to stand this up into in these emergency rooms. And so we we actually we did it. We we uh, we actually got a lot of really good work done. We're able to help a lot of patients uh, stay out of the hospital uh, or avoid hospitalization. But um, but it's a big big lift that really takes a lot more collaboration than we we really anticipated. So <clears throat> we actually we actually pulled back from that and are now kind of resetting and looking at other models. So for example. North Carolina has a statewide emergency telemedicine network. And so one of the things we're hoping to be able to provide is down the road as we're, we're right now, we're trying to assemble the funding for this. And imagine if we could have a statewide network where any, any emergency room, right? There are about 50 critical access hospitals in Montana. And imagine if every hospital had access to the same network of providers that could provide equally great care, no matter which emergency room they showed up in. And there's, there's a model for this, and it's doable. And the only way we can do that in Montana, because these hospitals are so small, is to really pool resources. Unfortunately, what some outside companies try to do is they try to kind of set up contracts with indiv- individual hospitals to kind of maximize the profit from each one of these contracts. That's, that's great for the company, and some hospitals get the care, but not every hospital can afford these big, big ticket prices. And so what we need to do is really pool resources have organizations work together, stop being so damn territorial sometimes, and the more we can collaborate in name of patient care, then I think we can get somewhere. And so that's, that's kind of where this, this funding came from, is really trying to support the vision of, of hospitals really collaborating around uh, really providing the best possible care for patients no matter where they show up. Wow. So we'll, so this, this telehealth crisis initiative, what, what is that going to look like for, um, for mental health patients that enter the ER and they, you know, they're, maybe they enter Jordan where there's no psychiatrist on staff. How, how's that going to help that, that individual that enters a, a critical care hospital that, you know, with, with no psychiatric services? Are they going to tell us that experience? Yeah. So, so again, during the year that we were able to, to do this and really think about it as like a pilot phase, folks were able to go to, let's say, an emergency room like this, <clears throat> get access to within, within two hours to see a, a board-certified psychiatrist uh, or a specialty trained psychiatric nurse practitioner and get a full on once, once a, a physician like Dr. Wright made sure that medically and physically they were okay and stable, then we would jump in, do the risk assessment, diagnosis, and then treatment planning. Now, what's nice is because we have the expertise, we don't have to necessarily rely on sending them somewhere else. We can start treatment there. We can then, because of the access to telemedicine, are able to perhaps discharge them back into their community and we can see them in their own home over video a day or two later. So they don't have to be sort of sent to some other community away from the friends, their family, their support network uh, that makes them feel more isolated. And again, as Dr. Wright was, was saying, what we, one of the things we need to do better in Montana is keeping people in their own communities and we need to be creative about how we do that because doing it the old way, well, guess what? You just need to read the headlines to see how broken our healthcare system is. So clearly we haven't been doing it right. And we need to be thinking very differently about how we do this. It's the only way we're going to be able to dig ourselves out of this problem. So, I mean, using telehealth is, I guess, not as not as different as uh, one would have thought. I, I didn't realize that history of, of the Eastern Montana Telehealth Initiative. And I, I love hearing ways where Montana's in front of the times, right? That's, that's awesome as a state. When we come back, we're going to talk about some additional ideas, uh, getting creative here on how we can help, um, help I don't want to say fix the system, but what needs to happen here in Montana? We'll be back. I'm Courtney Kibblewhite on Voices of Montana. 
Does your home qualify for a $70 discount on your internet bill? Blackfoot Communications is proud to partner with the FCC to help ensure that households can afford the broadband necessary for work, school, healthcare, and more. For more information on this federal program and to see if your household qualifies for a discount on your internet service, visit goblackfoot.com ACP. Connect to more with Blackfoot Communications. And we're back on Voices of Montana. I'm your guest host, Courtney Kibble-White. I do have to step in here and just thank the Arthur M. Blank Family Foundation, who has been so active in providing funding to support stigma reduction, to support some of these innovative, creative ideas. And gosh, it, it certainly takes more than uh, than the state or any one group can do, but they've certainly been, uh, been a powerful force to help the mental health community in our state. Uh, Dr. Wright, I do want to ask you, uh, Eric, or Dr. Arzubi was, was talking to us a little bit about those telehealth services that um, that Frontier Psychiatry provides. What's it like being on the receiving end of those services in your hospital? Has that been a good uh, tool for your system to utilize? Yes. Uh, when we had uh, Frontier Psychiatry providing those services actually to our facility, um, it was a game changer because we had that access to a psychiatrist who actually was Montana-based, so understood the system and understood available resources, but also to guide treatment so that many of those patients could stay uh, local with uh, a telepsych uh, consult when needed so that our, our in-hospital providers could rely on them for some management and decision-making. So it was really a great help to us. Um, as Dr. Arzubi said, it, it, we found that it was quite a heavy lift for a handful of providers to sustain that system. Um, so I think if, if we can get some more resources put to that model, as Dr. Arzubi mentioned, I think that would be a really good solution for um, a state such as ours where we have a lot of critical access hospitals, patients spread out, patients with limited transportation that probably are not excited about going two to three hours from home just to get treatment that they need. So right, no one wants to have to have to seek healthcare, but you certainly don't have to drive hours for it. So um, you know, one thing that I think about as I'm listening to some of these creative ideas is that book by Simon Sinek, The Infinite Mindset, where you know we're not competing hospital against hospital here. We really are trying to come up with innovative solutions for for our entire state. Doctor Zuba, you were mentioning there's a couple initiatives in front of the legislature right now related to telehealth. Tell us more about those. Sure, the one. The one thing about in particular is uh, Senate Bill 196. So Senator Walt Sales of Manhattan um, put this forth a couple of weeks ago. And the idea there is it's it makes total sense, right? And especially a state like Montana. And that is it's it's asking it's asking for payment parity, which would invite and and really uh, commit uh, insurers, both public and private, to pay for telehealth at the same rates as uh, as in-person care. The reason that's important is if there's if that's not happening and telehealth and telehealth is being reimbursed at a much lower rate, well, guess what? Then the financial incentives to spread telehealth disappear, and then now we're going back to an access problem. And some some people think that it's a lot cheaper to de- deliver telehealth services. Well, I can tell you because that's all we do is telehealth. I still have to hire physicians and nurse practitioners at the same pay that a hospital does. I still have to set up all the infrastructure uh, for billing, for, uh, for administration, for scheduling, for credentialing, all the same stuff that hospitals do as well. And, and in fact, um, in-person clinics 
have other ways to generate reimbursement. So like when they show up for in-person, you can, there are other, other sort of codes that we can't, we can't use. Anyway, I don't want to get into the minutia. The big picture is we need to be, healthcare needs to be valued and no matter how it happens, because there's plenty of research to show that this helps. Telehealth is as, as effective, especially in mental health, as in-person care. So why on earth would we pay less for it? It would just disincentivize its spread. Right. Especially, especially when we consider, man, those rural areas that just, that's where, that's where my heart is anyways. And uh, we, we really need those services. So that's again, Senate Bill 196 carried by, carried by Walt Sales. And if you'll remember, Walt Sales uh, was a part of our uh, Beyond the Weather campaign over the last year, where we're encouraging farmers and ranchers to get beyond the weather in any of your conversation. You don't always need to, to call a, a, a psychiatrist or, or a psychologist, but, but we can talk to each other more about what's going on and, and getting a little bit deeper. And, and I would throw out there, um, you can still go to beyondtheweather.com. And especially if you're a, a farmer or rancher or from one of those rural communities, you can receive free telehealth care um, through Frontier Psychiatry for those services. And, and tell us just briefly, Eric, how does that process work? People go to beyondtheweather.com and, and what happens then? Sure. <clears throat> they get connected to, um, to someone on our team and, um, and at that point, we really do the first, the first level of conversation to understand what's really happening, how, how mild or severe are the issues that someone is facing, and then we make sure they get plugged into to an appropriate provider. Uh, either It could be a, a, a social worker, a psychologist, or a psychiatrist, depending on what the need is. And going back to something you said before is, you know, yeah, we talk about the COVID-19 pandemic and, and the effects it had, but the other sort of pandemic or epidemic, if you want to call it, is one of isolation. And the, uh, the really uh, connecting with other people is going to really help combat that because isolation is at the root of a lot of these problems. That's right. Well, that's a reminder. Go to beyondtheweather.com to learn more about that free telehealth counseling for, for farmers and ranchers in agriculture. I just have to thank Dr. Arzubi and Dr. Wright for joining us here today. And if you've got other questions related to healthcare in your community or the system in general, get involved. Figure out what's going on in the legislature and, uh, and certainly show up. We can, we can make creative change together. You've been listening to Voices of Montana. Comments and opinions heard are those of the host or callers and not necessarily those of this station, sponsors, or Northern News Network. Join us Monday through Friday at 9.06 for Voices of Montana.